We're going to be in John chapter 15, adults, this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to that, that would be just fine. We have an opportunity to learn about his love and kindness this morning. Sometimes there's a price to pay for that love and kindness, isn't there? The world doesn't always like it, doesn't always appreciate it, and doesn't appreciate the Lord at all. And so there are trials and tribulations when it comes to that. So um, we're in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 25. It says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. This is Jesus speaking. The world will love you as one of its own if you, if you belong to it. But if you are no longer part of this world, I, choose you to, I chose you to come out of this world, so it hates you. Do you remember that what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. If they had listened, if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. And they will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I, had done such, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me. And my father, this fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. Persecuted, I said for the Lord, but I think you could probably put persecuted with the Lord in this just as well. Because God, not only is he um, watching over us, but he is in the persecution with us. So maybe it might be a good one to just cross out the four and put with, persecuted with the Lord. Why the hate, though? Why the hate? Why would the world hate us? And he says it's because, well, the, the Lord, the world loves its own as if it were one of its own. And I, I think the world system, the way they set it up, they set it up in a pyramid scheme a little bit, and there's only can be so many at the top, and they'll climb over you to get there. And I think it's opposite of what the Lord does as the, the world sets up as one. We as Christianity, we rely on one. Everything we built in Christianity is built on the love of Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross. And if you can defunct that, then you can defunct all Christianity. So where we're going today is a successful life of God's eyes doesn't look the same as a successful life as the world's eyes. God takes their formula of success and he flips it on its head to make disciple makers of Christ. The people of the world, they stand over us and they would say something like, well, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? I'm better than you in a sense. Where Christ would reach down and he would pick you up and he would hold us and he would say, who's your daddy? Just like we're an infant in his arms, right? 
Same thing, different body language, different posture in, this, in there. They hate because they want to keep us in our place. And they feel like that is their job to do that. They hate out of insecurity. They don't feel good about themselves, so if they can make you feel less, then that makes them feel better about themselves. But deep down, that doesn't work either because they're left with a hole in their heart that only God can fill. And they hate because that's all they know. The system that they've established, that they've been in, that's all they know. And when the Lord calls them out of that, which he does for each one of us, it is difficult for them to hear his voice because they've stuck in a system that's broken. And they hate because they're only looking out for themselves. They made themselves the God and that the only way they can be a bigger God is if they climb the pyramid and make themselves bigger. So how do they love then? If they hate like that, how does the world love? Well, they give to get. So they may share a stick of gum with you, but they expect something in return. They um, may do some act of service for you, but they expect to be served themselves. And that's not what Christ calls us to do, does he? He calls us to serve without asking for anything in return. So in a sense, they give with conditions. I'll give this to you, but you have to, right? I've, I've done that before. And sometimes those conditions are good. and Sometimes those conditions are very selfish. Right? I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Like There was a, a grant program I heard on um, the world and everything in it. She would write grants for kids that would go to private schools when they were in a public school system that was failing them. And so they would apply to this grant, and she said, yes, you, I, we can supply the money for you to go to the private school, but you need to serve your community. And give back as the community's given you because it was taxpayer money. Why don't you go ahead and give back um, through volunteering through different things? So there was people that volunteered at, at a farm. There was people that volunteered at uh, their youth group, church, uh, community food banks, all these different places that there was opportunities to serve the community. And it was really wonderful. And she's like, because it gives it some worth. It gives their education some worth to see how much it takes to invest in your community. So in that instance, I think it's a little bit different um, because it, it's, it's teaching some values. So they love with conditions. They love that way because they want to create a standard that you'll never achieve. I'll always be above you. You will always be less. And that's the way it's going to be. You see that in society today. You see that coming out in, in many ways. When we become selfish, we try to put ourselves on pedestals and that they just wouldn't understand because they're uneducated and they have no idea. Well, that's just a funny way of saying that I'm up where I want to be and you're down where you want to be and I can keep you that way by making you think you're stupid. 
We know that's... Christ works us out of that system, doesn't he? Christ goes outside of that pyramid system, and he just busts that pyramid all together because he serves to serve. He gives to give, and that's it. He doesn't expect anything in return. It's our choice if we're going to serve him back. It's our choice if we're going to give back and receive something out of that. So how does God love? Well, God loves through sacrificial action, doesn't he? That's what love requires. We've talked about that in the past. Love requires sacrificial action. And what is the, one of the things that God could give that would cost him dearly? Would it be money? Would it be land? Would it be power? Prestige? No, none of those things would cost God dearly. What about his name? What about his character? You ever hear talking about God's great name? It's always talking about God's character. So what if God promises us salvation if we choose it? What if he reneges on that? Would that cost God? What if he just did that to one person? Would that cost God? It would cost him everything, right? Because God never changes. His character is always the same. And if he were to change even just once, that would destroy his character, his good name. It would cost him everything. So that task, he entrusts to somebody pretty important, doesn't he? He entrusts that task to his son. And Jesus pays the price for our sins to prove that God is who he says he is. And he does it without condition. We can still continue to sin, and God's still going to die on the cross for that sin too. When we understand this, we know that we can lean on Jesus in our suffering. So why do we go through suffering? Why do we go through suffering? That is a difficult question. It's one of the hardest questions in Christianity. I was listening to a man talk about suffering when he was uh, about in his 30s. And his family's going through something very similar now. Well, it goes back to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And it comes down to it. At some point in time, when you're, you're questioning about the this, this suffering and what's going on, are you going to remain faithful in the suffering, even though we don't understand it? Are you going to trust God at his word? Are you going to trust God at what he's done in the past that he will continue to do, even though we don't understand it? Did Job ever understand what he was going through for the suffering? No, he didn't. It doesn't say, and then God told Job. No. It's, this is the result of Job being faithful and then God shows up, questions Job, says, dude, brush yourself like a man because I'm about to ask you some questions and you will answer me. And he's like, I'm a broken man. I don't deserve to live. If we could only get like Job sometime, right? We got to remember, our God is all powerful. Our God is to be feared just as much as he is to be served. 
Wow, that's a paradox right there, isn't it? Got, the Bible's full of them. So Jesus' message convicts us of our self-righteous attitude. It is also important to note that sometimes the truth, it can be abrasive. And we, we have the responsibility to evaluate when people are offended. Was it because I acted like Jesus? Because Jesus could be very abrasive sometimes. Or was it because I acted like a jerk? Right? I acted inappropriately and I lost my cool and therefore this person is offended because of my actions and not because of God's word or something to that effect, right? So that's important to note as we move forward. In humility, we know our place. If you ever write this out on your bulletin, you could write J-O-Y. You can put it up and down because it's a great acrostic. Jesus others, and you. When you put Jesus first, then others next, and then yourself last, that's a good way to know that you're dying to self and learning to follow the Lord, right? So that's, that's something that's important to do. It's something important to keep. We also have the truth, right? And we have the Spirit of God. With the truth and the Spirit of God, and we don't need to add to the message. We don't need to make it more pretty. It is God's message. The Spirit will make it pretty enough for that person. He will convict the heart. It's not our job to do that. It's important for us to believe what we preach, but it's not our duty to manipulate somebody into salvation. How, how deep is that salvation? Not very, is it? But they got to know that you have conviction behind your words. So emotion is, is a part of it. It's just got to be in the, its right place, right? Something I struggled with for a long time, there's a balance there um, with the emotions and how much you throw into a sermon because I could, I could get everybody, if I really wanted to, to, to feel like they're all sinners and we all need to have 40 right, white roses this morning, Right? But that's not right. That's not right. That's actually probably wrong, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask for forgiveness because we know we have a God who's already forgiven us when we accept him into our lives. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new ministry, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest. They know this. In other words, we don't entertain people to Jesus. We don't entertain people to Jesus. This is why I have a hard time with lights, smokes, and mirrors in, in church services. It's also why I have a hard time with maybe even charismatic message as myself. I can, I can be charismatic. But some of it's okay. A lot of it's... The, God's Word doesn't need it. It doesn't need a person. It doesn't need a preacher, does it? 
God's word can stand alone. And his spirit to convict us and his message to our hearts through his word, that's all we need. That's really all we need. And then we pray, right? Because then he knows that's all we need. Cool? It's not about us. And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, continuing on to 5 through 7 with me. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Let the light of Christ shine out in you. We are but fragile jars of clay. Why did Christ design us like that? Why, why can't we be like copper jars or bronze? You know, we could dent and then he could just beat us out, right? But we're cracked pots. We're not even, we're not even whole pots. We have holes in us. We're holy, right? Isn't that kind of the thing? Because now when they look at that broken pot that's supposed to hold this liquid in it or this light in it, it shines, the light shines out from us, doesn't it? And the world can see that it's not the pot that's doing the glory, but it's what's inside the pot that brings the glory to the Lord. And so that the system of me, me, me is flipped upside down and it's Jesus, what's inside of me. I become a conduit of praise. I, I receive it and give it. Or when it's given to me, I cast it out, in a sense, to those around us to let them know the loving message. How can you speak that so powerfully? It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that lives within me. Crackpot. I'm a crackpot. You're a stupid crackpot. Oh, boy. Amen, right? Praise the Lord. He finally gets it. He finally gets it. I've been trying to tell him that for years. Brandy says, just kidding. She doesn't really say that. I don't want to put words in my wife's mouth. No, she's like, probably. A successful life in God's eyes doesn't look the same as a successful life in the world's eyes. It just doesn't. God takes their formula for success and flips it on his head and makes disciple makers of Christ. You know, I think our, our, our grocery list of praise, when we get up to heaven, it's not going to be, well, there was the CEO of yada, yada, yada who did this for 13 years and, and sat on this committee and that committee and this committee and had prestige across the community. That's not what it's going to look like, is it? It's going to be, there was that faithful, young-at-heart lady that served when nobody saw. This is what she did. 
This is who she prayed for. This is how he set an example for his grandchildren. This is how he served when nobody was looking. And now I'm going to commend you in front of my father, in front of his angels. Wow. What a glorious day, right? That's where we place our hope in. Not just praise from God, but to be with God, I think. I think that's even more important than to be praised from God. Uh, maybe that will be the, the crowns that we receive will be some of those uh, accolades because of what we've done. But I don't speculate. I just do what I'm supposed to do, and then um, we'll see what the result's going to be, right? Then he ties it together with these, these next few verses, verse 26 and 27. And I really like this because I look at this, and it's almost because, okay, let me back up a little bit. If you look at the book of John, he doesn't really have a commissioning. He does have one. It's later on in the, in the passage, but it's also a theme that goes throughout the book of John. And this is one of those places where we see that theme of that commissioning of sending out of, of the people. In verse 26, it says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Okay, I'm going to send you the spirit who's going to testify about me. By your spirit and by your word, in a sense, the gospel message that you've seen. He's talking to the 11 there that are going to carry on the message, right? I need you to tell that message as well. And some of you are going to have to write it down. He doesn't say that here, but they do. (laughs) Praise God. Or else we wouldn't have known about it, right? And so we have your word and your spirit working together to send the gospel message out once again. Isn't that pretty awesome? The Spirit is the testimony and the reason to testify. He is our testimony. He is going to be the one that's convicting the hearts, but he's also the reason why we want to tell others. So as he inflows into our lives and he pours into other people, so he overflows out of our lives to tell other people. Can you see how this can't stop with just you and I? And as we go into church, we have the idea of church is inflow. I'll pour into you that you you might have enough to get through your week, but that's not how God works. Yes, he wants to pour into us, but he wants it to excite our hearts to get into his word more so that we overflow. Did you know this about my Jesus? Let me tell you about my Jesus. That's a song that's on WCIC right now I really like. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He, t- he talks about this again in Revelation. John does. He's the author of Revelation as well, 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the by their testimony, the word of their testimony. Is their testimony important? Yeah. Is the blood of the lamb important? Absolutely. The spirit gives authority to both those things. 
to change the heart of men. The battle belongs to the Lord. Look here, Satan is working out of defeat. He hates us because he's lost, right? He has already lost the war. Don't let him win in the daily battles of our lives. Tell the story of victory in Jesus, even if you just tell it to yourself. I was broken, and he's made me whole. Therefore, I want to live whole for him. It's important. Tell the story of victory in Jesus Christ. Where does our salvation come from? It comes from Jesus, who got it from God, the Father. Is your faith developing out of place of victory? We've already won. That is a light unto our path. We've won. We know where we're going. We're going to die. If we've accepted Christ in our heart, we know where we're going. Our next step is going to be one in faith because he's going to light it up where we go next. Too many times we go to, into church, we live our lives, we go to work, we raise our families under our own strength. And if we just give it up and allow God to work, he does great things. But when we walk under our own strength, we walk away defeated, tired, and empty. And when we walk with the Holy Spirit and the word of our testimony, we still go through trials, don't we? We still go through suffering, but we know the outcome. And if he's in it, he's in it to win it. Christ wins. Christ wins. Christ wins through the faithful prayers of a hurting mom, of a hurting stepmom, of a hurting father that's praying for their kids, of a hurting stepfather that's praying for his children. God works through our prayers. He wants to hear us surrendered working with his spirit, in step with his spirit. Not under his spirit, not over his spirit as, as we would be something that we could command God. It's ridiculous. Not under saying that, oh God, I don't know how to do this because that's working out of a spirit of fear and timidity. God calls us not to do that. He's like, I'll walk with you. This is how we do it. We'll do it together. You pray, I'll work, we'll see how it turns out, and when we have the opportunity, we'll move forward together. Christ wins. Here in John, it says we have the responsibility to share that message. We will share because we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, and we will share because Jesus has changed our path. Our path was on the path of destruction. He has changed it to a path of new life. We have a partner in our daily load that that will help us bear our burdens. We have hope for the healing, and we know our final de destination is with a God who loves us. We no longer fight on our own. We fight on our knees, allowing our commander to take the lead as he picks us up and he walks with us. 
We trust the process and we walk in faith and not by sight. I said this a few weeks ago. I guess it was a few months ago. We know that faith is more than a t-shirt, right? But a t-shirt's not a bad place to start, right? Because you can use that as a tool to share your faith, right? But it's got to come out of your mouth. It can't just be worn and be like, well, I shared my faith today. It said, I'm a Christian. I dare you to ask me about it. I remember when I was in college, I had a roommate that had that. And I'm like, that's cool that you're that bold about being a Christian, but that's kind of standoffish because you're a Christian now. And that makes you look like a jerk and makes Jesus look like a jerk. But in some environments, I know in high school, that would have been a bold statement for me to wear because I was terrified to share my faith. And I had plenty of people that were willing to persecute me. So... Um, I get it, and I don't get it. I I wouldn't wear that shirt today. I made when I was in high school. Even better than a t-shirt, though, is a lifestyle with a good message. It's a powerful tool for the Lord, right? It's using your lifestyle, and when people ask, man, even when they don't ask, you ever wonder why I do this? Sometimes you ask. You ever wonder why I do this? I don't do it for me. I do it for the Lord. Wow, now I'm going to watch. Does he really do it for the Lord? Now I have to back up what I've just said, right? I have to live my testimony. Well, that's why we have the Spirit of the Lord. And when I don't, is that the end all? No, I just got to go and tell him. Sometimes I stink too, but praise God, he doesn't, right? Because he's the hero, he's the one. He gets the glory, he gets the pain, right? Start the process is simple and easy. Becoming a disciple maker of Jesus, you have to think like a disciple maker of Jesus. Hmm, that's simple. So how does a disciple maker look? Well, I would suggest you look at the disciple maker's prayer first. It's in the bulletin down there on the inside right. And it comes from these scriptures. It goes like this, if you want to read with me. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close For Jesus-like disciple-making friendships, by your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum, in Jesus' name, amen. That's something that William has quizzed me on. We were going to school on Thursday, wasn't it? And uh, I said, William... I'm going to memorize this thing. And so he, he had the card, and I was working on it. And uh, next time, I'll take the card, and he'll work on it. And um, maybe we can throw Bethany in the mix as we're taking her to school, too. So uh, she might already have it memorized, though. So uh, it's a good way to start your day. It puts things in perspective. It puts expectations on us that we are going to 
love God first. A successful life in God's eyes doesn't look the same as a successful life in the world's eyes. God takes their formula for success and flips it on its head to make disciple makers of Christ. Let's continue on in John 16, 1 through 4. It says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and a time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you remember my warning. I did not tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. I didn't tell you earlier because it was going to be with you a little while longer. A little foreshadowing there, isn't it? This is my last few hours of, as a free man. I'm spending it with you, encouraging you to follow the Lord. Or in other words, to grow in your faith. That's our last point. Grow in your faith. First, let's examine a faith that hasn't been tested. I think we've all seen those out there. What does it look like? Well, a faith that hasn't been tested, I say, looks like a big talker. It takes credit for what God's done. It is dependent on that person's abilities and therefore leads to self-righteousness. I can be a good person. I am better than you. I have set up rules so I don't not be a good person. My proper English there. Right? If you want to be like me, you have to follow my rules. Do you already see how this flipped to a pyramid scheme? Following the rules is legalism. It's just a way to, to set up your, establish your pyramid in the church sometimes. Well, you don't love your neighbor as well as I do, so... Therefore, I'm better than you, right? That is blasphemy, right? That's also self-righteousness. We come and we do that a lot. Well, it's a good thing God has me because if he didn't, well, I would hate to see what this would happen in this neighborhood. That's where you step back from that person, right? We may never ever say that out loud, but sometimes that's what that comes into our heart because Satan knows. Satan knows that we want to hang on to that glory or we may want to hang on to the pain and say, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too far gone. I could never do this. God would never accept me. Can you see how that pain is not given up? And then we, we come into this false humility, a.k.a self-righteousness, and we say, God's not strong enough, that's basically what we're saying, to save me. But who is? I can handle my own pain. That's what you're saying without saying. And that is a, just as bad as sin as, as pride. So when I say give up the glory and the pain, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. So we got to give the Lord those in both things. 
These things, they can de- be dependent on their own ability, their self-righteousness. That do- this doesn't get you to heaven. Repent and turn back to your first love, as it says in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus knows the trials are coming. He knows what's coming. He knows that there's going to be more coming. And James says it this way in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when you ex- your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Right? Well, I missed my meal last night. I could use that. It's an opportunity for joy, Pastor House. You keep on going. Keep on keeping on. Troubles can equal joy because we know that God's refining our faith in those troubles. We know that troubles can equal joy because we have an opportunity to get into something bigger than us that only God can get us out of. And sometimes it's because we got ourselves there in the first place. Right? I would say more often than not, probably. Troubles allow for long-suffering endurance to grow and to mature, to produce hope there to produce hope, hope there's an end in sight. We know that there is a goal of heaven, obviously, and sometimes once we start to work through these troubles, we can see that the outcome is starting to mature and is coming to a head, and either it's going to be very good or very bad. And God gives us the hope to hope in that it's going to be good. Maturing in the faith, we're able to use this as a building block for the future. Remember the warning in John 15, 4. We remember God's promises. We remember how he was there to see us through. How he parted the waters of our problems for us. And when we can't express it, when the troubles are so big that we can't even come up with an expression for it, we remember Romans chapter 8, 26 says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness for example, we don't know or we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. We remember we are walking in faith. Nothing can stand against us. Romans 8:32 Since we do not spare even his own son but gave his him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And I'll say when we walk in faith when we walk in obedience. He gave up his son. Rescuing our son is not going to be a problem for him. Right? He gave up his son. Rescuing our daughter is not going to be a problem for him. When we remain faithful in the Lord, big things happen. Because a successful life in God's eyes doesn't look the same as a successful life in the world's eyes. 
God takes their formula for success and flips it on its head and makes disciple makers of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love, your kindness, your understanding, your long-suffering, your cry to our heart to reach out for you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you that you are a God who understands our pain, who wants to take our pain and make it something better. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that when we go through these trials, that down the road we'll be able to help somebody else through their trials. And Lord, we pray for those that are going through the suffering now, those that are dealing with the loss of a loved one or a student. Lord, we pray for comfort for them because it's not easy in the trial. Lord, we pray for peace that passes understanding. And we pray for joy that will come out through, the, through it all because we've learned to put you first and give you the glory. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.